I want to read a couple of verses here from the book of Acts. This is after the Christ had already lived his life, died, and rose again. This, these two stories I want to read um, are really stories about people who Jesus became real to them in such a way that their whole lives changed what they did. And then they went about telling people about Jesus. I mean, if you would have seen an angel, wouldn't you go around preaching Jesus to everybody? Hey, he's real. But do you know that people would look at you and go, another one of those crazies down there from that church? Why is that? Because you know something real, but they don't. The big thing is we shouldn't cave into them. We should care for people. And um, in Acts 26, Paul was one of these people who at one time was totally opposed to God, was against the things of God. Uh, he had a religious form, but he didn't really, really know the Lord personally. And so at this time in Paul's life, he has had an experience. Jesus is totally real to him. And he's been thrown in prison for his faith. Anybody who really is going to suffer in such a way that they are willing to be thrown in prison, you got to know they've got something or they believe something. Well, Paul, the Lord had appeared to him and his whole mission in life then was to make Jesus real to other people. And so here he was in prison for his faith in verse 24 of the 26th chapter, and I'm going to begin reading. It says, now as he thus made his defense. So he's telling these rulers and these governors he's in prison for his faith, and he's not just trying to get out of jail. He's just trying to tell people about the Lord even in jail. And it says, as he made his defense, he said, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, so he's this ruler, you're beside yourself. We'd, we'd say this today, dude, you're crazy. Same thing happened back then. He said, you're beside yourself. He said, Paul, he, he said, you're beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. What was it that he told? He was basically telling what the kids just told. And they said, you're, you're mad. You're going crazy because of things you're learning. And notice this, he said, he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. And he's talking about the life of Jesus and him coming. He said, he said, his life, he said, you're the king. He said, this just didn't happen in a corner. He said, I know you know about this. And you know, there are people who do know about the Lord, but don't really know him or serve him. And he said, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And when he said, do you believe the prophets? He was basically saying, do you believe what's written in the Bible by the prophets? And he said, I know that you do believe. And I'm convinced, too, that there are people who believe but kind of been talked out, told to live their own way. You know, we read the story in the Bible about Adam and Eve in the garden, and people make fun of it. 
But it's still true, and there are some real truths in there. That what happened was, how did the devil come to them? He came in reason. He just said, well, it's not appropriate to go God's way. It's better to go your own way. It's better not to do this. Don't worry. You're getting robbed if you don't really go for this other stuff. That's what happened. And they said, well, we're missing out. We need to go the way God's not saying to go. We're going to go this way. And he reasoned with them, the devil did, until they went the wrong way. They didn't have to, but they chose to. And I believe reasoning can be such an enemy today to people who genuinely do believe something in their heart. And here he said, he said, I know, King Agrippa, you believe the prophets. So you could say it like this, you believe the Bible. He said, I know that you do believe. Then, notice verse 28, then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Paul connected with him. He knew deep down, I do believe in this, Lord. I do believe in this, but there was so much other stuff coming against him. And, but he said, he said, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Then verse 29, Paul said this. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether. In other words, I don't want people just to be almost In other words, because he said, I'm almost there. He said, I want you to not be almost, but he said, I want you to be altogether like me. In other words, to know this Lord and this Savior and have this life. He said, not only almost, and he said, and altogether such as I am, he said, except for these chains. He said, I want people to experience everything I have. Not just almost come to the place, but he said, I want you to know it. Because he really knew something. And he was willing to be chained up, and he was in prison. He said, the only thing I don't want for these people that I have is to be locked up for their faith. But he said, I want them to know the Lord just like I know the Lord. And to walk with the Lord like I walk with the Lord, except being in jail for it. He was so persuaded and so knew the Lord, he wanted everybody to know him this way. I'm going to read this last set of scripture in Acts 24. It was another time that Paul preached a sermon in the same place, not the same jail, a different jail. It's interesting, Paul preached in jail. Thankfully, we get to do it in a church, in the workplace, or wherever else that we get to share our faith. But in Acts 24, there's an interesting verse. And Paul said this to the other person, Festus, and and those, he said, he said, I know you believe. He said, I know that I'm connecting with you, and I know that God is working in you. Here is another time that something happened when he shared in these two verses of Acts 24, verse 24 and 25. It says, and after some days when Felix, this other person, ruler, came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. So he calls him in out of prison because these people were curious because Paul became well-known all over the known area at that time for the miracles that happened, for the tremendous influence that he had and how God would deal with people. Whole countries and areas within a year or two would be revolutionized by the gospel because the power of God would so grip people. 
And here he is in prison and people that were in authority would go to the prison and call him out to hear. And you can read that because they wanted to hear. It's like we got an audience with this guy who's turning the world upside down. And so they would come in, and this is one of those times when those, one of the rulers came in and called for him. So Paul came and was you know, brought by a, a guard or whatever and taken out of his cell, and then he would do what he did where he almost persuaded the other one. But look at the results when he talked to these, pers- these people and what it did to them. And I believe the same God that's alive back then is alive today. And he'll do the same things. But notice this in verse 25. It said, now as he reasoned about righteousness. What is it to be righteous? Righteous means to be good enough to stand before God and to be accepted by God. And just like there were things back then that people had ideas about, there are people today who have ideas about righteousness. They'll say say things like this. I'm good enough to stand before God. I've seen all these people do worse than I did. I'm okay on my own. That's what righteousness is, the ability to stand right in the sight of God. And so he reasoned with them, and the Bible teaches that nobody, no matter how good they are, can stand right before God on their own. They have to have a way to stand there, and you can never do good enough to do it on your own. So what God did was he came and he died and he rose again and then he suffered the penalty so man could receive Jesus and stand right in the sight of God. So that's what he reasoned with him first about righteousness. And then it says he reasoned with him about self-control. In other words, if people live a life out of control... That's not pleasing to God when they don't go the way God wants. And what I found when I lived in the world, I didn't have the power to live free from drugs. I didn't have the power to live free from alcohol and addictions and everything else. I didn't have the power to control myself to a great degree once I started giving myself over to wrong stuff. Well, when he reasoned with him about this, Jesus is that power to be free from sin. People who've come to know the Lord, I know people who were on heroin and did things like that. They got set free just by receiving Jesus. I was an alcoholic. I received Christ, surrendered my life, and was addicted to drugs and was set free just like that. I don't hate people who drink. I just hate alcohol because I know what it did to me. And I know what drugs did to me. And I tried. There were times I said, okay, I'm going to quit doing this and quit doing this, but didn't find the power in myself. I know some people find the will to stop, but I didn't find it till the day I received Christ. And then self-control became something that I didn't know how to exercise or walk in before. And I got set free. And he reasoned with them about righteousness, self-control. And these two things are crucial to the very next thing he was about to say. Because he said righteousness, the ability to stand before God and be accepted by God. How can you do that? Not on your own. Only by receiving a free gift because nobody can do good enough. And that's what's so wild is this free gift is Jesus. And then he said self-control. You can actually learn to live a life 
that's right before God after you've received him. But when you live in that world, you realize, I don't, man, there are things I'm just compelled to do that are wrong. The Lord can change that. And then the next thing he said is, and he reasoned with him about the judgment to come. That is one thing that people need to know today is that regardless of what you do with the Lord or have done with the Lord, there will be a judgment to come. Everybody will stand before the Lord. Whether we like it or not, he's real and we'll all stand before him. And the only way to be right before him is to receive his free gift. Somebody said, I'm going to take my chances by working real hard. Nobody who's ever done it and lived right has been able to be good enough to stand before God clean. The only way you can be clean is by receiving Jesus. And so he reasoned with him about this judgment that was going to come. What would occur someday is no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, even atheists are not exempt from this. You can be an atheist from a child and be trained that way because you don't start that way. And be trained that way until you get old. And then you can die, and that does not exempt you from the judgment to come. That every single person will stand before the Lord. And no matter how good you are, you're not accepted unless you have Christ. Then Christ has made the payment so you are accepted, that you have good standing, and then he'll change your life while you live out the rest of your days on the earth. But it's interesting, he said, the judgment to come. And notice this. He said when he got done reasoning about these three things, it says, and these are good things to talk about. They may make people uncomfortable, but some people need to be made uncomfortable. Some people, you know, just want to ignore the, ignore the noise in their car and think it's just going to go away. It could be detrimental. Though all the red lights can mean something on your dashboard. They don't just go on around Christmas because it's Christmas. It might be because the oil's low, that you got problems and serious problems, and if you keep going and you don't do something about it, the car's gone. You can't ignore those things and think, well, it's okay. And you can't ignore him and think, well, it'll just all go away because ultimately someday it will come back to where no matter what, what you believe or have believed, we'll all stand before him. And so here he's talking to this ruler about this who's got power and has authority. He could have his head cut off. But he was bold enough just to tell him the truth, and he reasoned with him about good standing with God, how to have a life of self-control, and he talked to him about the judgment to come. And it says, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away from me now. When I have a convenient time, I will come to you. He said, uh, he got nervous about it. He got gripped by God. And he didn't do what he should have done and said, what do I need to do to be saved? Because that happened to the Bible. What do I need to do to get my life right so that when this judgment comes, I'm in business? But he got so full of fear. And how many kings live in fear? They've got armies behind them. They don't have to do their own killing. They can have somebody come in and cut their head off and stop this guy from saying anything that he's saying. 
and say, I'm done with that. But he got so fearful. Why? Because God inside of him started dealing with him that you need to do something about this and you need to do something about it now. And he just stopped him. And it's wild what he said. He was afraid and he said to him, he said, go away from me for now. Go away from me from now. And he said, when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. How many times do people go, well, I would serve the Lord, but it's not convenient, a convenient time. Here's what's interesting. We don't ever find him ever calling for him to come again to him to hear a truth. To have his heart pricked by the gospel and grabbed by God. He, he pushed it away and you don't hear anything else about it anymore with his life. I don't know if it was his last opportunity I don't know if it was his only opportunity, and he said, I'm, I'm not going to do that, even though he was gripped. He said, I'm not going to do it. He said, I'm going to wait till it's convenient for me. But I found this, it's not always convenient for us. It's usually on God's terms, not just our terms, that we follow him. And so we should never run past the dealings of God in our life. Where we go, well, I'm just going to do it tomorrow. I can fix this later. I, I can give my life to him then. I could do what he wants me to do. That's not always a good answer. Sometimes there is a tomorrow. But we don't find it with his life. Does it mean God stopped dealing with people? No. Because you can keep reading through the book of Acts where wherever Paul went, God dealt with people. But he never called for Paul. He never went back to that place. They never joined up where he could hear again. So what would have been the best thing for him to do? Just say, okay, what's the deal, Paul? And Paul would have told him, here's what you need to do. You need to make a commitment to Christ. You need to receive him as your own Savior and Lord. When you do that, he'll change you. He'll set you free. You'll get in right standing. When you go to stand before the Lord, you'll be okay. Then you follow him with your life. He came to a crossroads, and he says, it's not convenient for me. I've had friends do that, say, I know what you're telling me is the truth, but I'm just not ready for it because there's so much more I want to do by living my own life my own way. And like I said, we don't find him ever calling again and saying, Paul, I'd like to hear that again. I know it made me fearful, but I need to address what's happening in me. He just said, no, enough of that. Enough. So I guess my question would be is today will you address the issue that was presented to us about this Savior that was born in a manger that was rejected by the innkeepers. He was of such great value, but even then people didn't recognize his value. If they would have recognized his value, they might have kicked somebody out of the inn that was crowded and said, you know what? You guys got to go. We're about to have the Savior of the world that's going to be born. They didn't even recognize his value. They said, no, we've got a barn out there. That's a stable, a barn. And sleeping in a manger is not a fancy term for something spectacular. It's basically a feed trough. There's where we put the hay for the animals, and you just you know, can have your baby and put him in there. What I find is interesting is, you know, that animals eat out of a hay trough. And Jesus was born in a place where things that need life partake from it. And I know this, that Jesus comes to present himself, and you can have the life if you'll receive him. 